Welcome back to the Back in Business podcast, where we talk to entrepreneurs about how they rise after the fall via current struggles or past failures, and share with you, our listeners, the strategies they used to rise stronger and faster. We're your hosts, Justin Bernoulli. And I'm Joel McGalnick. Even though we spend a lot of time talking to entrepreneurs, we also like to talk to people who help those entrepreneurs with what they need to do to bring themselves back to that place of equilibrium. So today with us, we've got April Prescott, who among many other things that she does in her life, she teaches mindfulness to entrepreneurs. Yeah, and April gives us a Yeah, and April gives us a lot of great tips. Yeah, and April gives us a lot of great tips in the episode, but she also shows her own story about how she got to this point in her life and career. And I particularly love how she talks about mindfulness and how it takes time and that speed shouldn't be part of this equation. In fact, slowing down to speed up is where the magic really happens. The thing that really resonated with me was this idea that she brought up called radical acceptance. So if you're in a situation like maybe the business is starting to fail or you're losing money or you're losing people or the product's not working, whatever it is, you should accept that you're in the situation that you're in, but that doesn't mean that you should accept the situation itself, that you're not going to give into it. So you can open yourself up to feedback, you can open open yourself up to giving, but really this idea is that in order for you to reduce stress and kind of get you out of that fight or flight response is that you do accept where you are at this moment and then do everything you can to get out of it. Yeah, exactly. And the other piece that really caught my ear was this comment she made about mentors and other people that are in your life that are important and them being able to see in you what you don't see in yourself and just how important it is to have these messages shared with you to help you grow. April shares some of these experiences of her own and how those, that support from others in her past at really critical times really moved her past some of the big challenges that she was facing at the time. Yeah, and that was, this was friends, this was family. These were people that she chose as mentors or who chose her to mentor her. And so these are all people that she recommends become a part of your life, you as the listener, to really try to make sure that you're achieving everything that you can achieve. So I think... That's all we're going to talk today. We do have a little bit of a longer episode today. So I am really excited to introduce April in this different kind of episode of Back in Business. So welcome, April. I'm excited to have you today on the show. So the thing that I thought was really great about having you on the show today was that in a previous interview, uh, actually very recently, with uh, Oodle Noodle President Jay Downton, was that he brought up your name. And he said that you had helped him quite a bit as an entrepreneur with really helping him to take control of his stress levels. And then when Justin said that he had actually heard you speak at NAPE, the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology, for those of you who don't live in Alberta or in the Edmonton area, I was just like, yeah, this seems like the perfect person that we should have on our show. So I'd love it if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. Awesome. Uh, first, yeah, thanks for having me. I was excited to see that you guys had spoken with Jay and it seems like a natural evolution. Maybe one time we, you can have both of us together. <laughs> that's always that's always interesting. Um, so uh, my name is April Prescott and I'm born and raised here in Edmonton. And uh, I am an educator by trade. So I'm a graduate of the Faculty of Education from the University of Alberta. And I've worked in education for the last 15 years. Uh, mostly in uh, preschool, providing services for um, children who have extra needs. Um, I spent 10 years working in the field of uh, deaf and hard of hearing education, and I'm now the inclusive education coordinator at Aboriginal Head Start. So um, I help provide services for Indigenous children here in Edmonton. The reason why I think that that's important for listeners to know is that I am not an entrepreneur. I I don't count myself as a business owner. And uh, when I work, when I do my work with Jay, that's his expertise. But what working in education has afforded me is a level of professional development that has guided me towards um, helping others in different ways. And while I was teaching, I experienced uh, burnout twice. And during that time, I was seeking out uh, ways to overcome that and 
kind of led me down two pathways. One was developing a trauma-informed practice um, in which I'm now a trainer, and then also discovering mindfulness and meditation on a somewhat chance trip to California. So um, after developing my practice in both of those areas, I came back home and was like, where has this been my whole life? And why are more people not talking about this? Um, Mostly being mindfulness and meditation, but also the effects of trauma on the system. So I got kind of shifted gears at that point and made it, made this conscious decision to uh, be of service to others by helping make this information more widely known. I've started working with entrepreneurs and business owners just simply through Jay. Um, and I'm not sure how much he told you about how he and I um, met. So we can tell that story as long as it's not a repeat for your listeners. But so, yeah, I'm currently um, helping entrepreneurs, business owners, leaders, really anybody who crosses my path um, in discovering how mindfulness and meditation, if it's appropriate, um, can be a useful tool or way of life for them in order to help uh, mitigate uh, stressors and the effects of stress that we all experience in being human. That's awesome. It's kind of funny how all roads that go to California lead back to these concepts like mindfulness. (laughs) So I'm actually kind of curious, how did you make the decision to go from what your current work is, which which I believe you're still doing, to being like, oh, yeah, there actually is a market or a group or, or a cohort of people that actually need this stuff. And did you need help to reach them or was it something that you came to on your own? Uh, definitely not something I came to on my own. So in uh, in July of 2017, I got the opportunity to go to New York City and I pitched mindfulness in sports to Gary Vaynerchuk. And I'm not sure if you guys know who Gary Vee is, but he's an entrepreneur in New York. And uh, so I traveled to New York and um, went to Hudson Yards and sat across the table from Gary and and told him that I think his sports agency needs someone like myself because um, the majority of professional sports athletes uh, come from uh, you know, difficult places. And that's often why they're so focused, uh, their laser focus is on, is on their athletics. And I think that there's, we see a lot of evidence of that in, um, athletes behavior and especially after they retire. So I had the opportunity to go to do that and which was cool and you can search it on YouTube. But, um, the coolest part of that was that Claude Silver, his chief heart officer was there. And so she came to talk to all of us. There was 30 of us there that day to pitch to, to Gary. And uh, so I walked right up to her and I said, you know, I love uh, who you are and what you do. I've been quietly following her um, since starting to follow Gary's work. And she's like, oh, well, how long are you in New York for? And I said, well, I'm here for 10 days. And she's like, okay, well, why don't you come by Thursday and we'll hang out? And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I went back on Thursday And she gave me an hour of her time. And I think the coolest part about that whole experience was, so I was waiting with her admin assistant and we were just chatting and she's like, oh, she's just going to be a minute. She's just actually letting someone go. And I said, you mean she's firing someone right now? And I I have to be the person after the firing. And she's like, oh yeah, yeah. And, and in Hudson Yards, there's like communal desk space. And then around the outside, there's all these glassed in office spaces and I can see them. And it's her with two other women and the three of them walked out and you could not tell who, who got let go. And I was just fascinated by that. Um, Like they were smiling and laughing and like, so I go into her office and uh, we just start talking. And so she, so I told her a little bit about who I am. I work in education and, and specifically around mindfulness. And that's what had brought me to see Gary. And, and she's like, well, why aren't you teaching this to other people? And I was like, ah, I don't know. And she's like, well, I think that you should go home and become a coach. And I was like, I don't really like the term life coach. Like, I'm not really great at my own life. Who am I to tell other people how to live theirs? <laughs> and she's like, no, 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 that's not what we're talking about. You know, it's just like, that's just the term that we use in the industry. But I think that you should go home. And she's like, I really see that you're, a per- you're an educator. You know how to teach people. And I think that you need to go home and teach other people this. 
And uh, so she sat with me for an hour and then she had to go on with another meeting. And she said, um, would you be open to continuing this conversation with me? So she asked if she could be one of my mentors. And to this day, we're friends and we talk all the time. And Jay actually had a call with her a couple months ago to help him work through some stuff. So I came home from New York and that's when I started my very, very teeny tiny small side hustle of um, helping teach people mindfulness and meditation from uh, kind of a coaching lens. Um, that's how I met Jay. So Jay and I had mutual friends. I showed up to Mercer Tavern one night. Um, everybody else was like many, many drinks in, including Jay. And uh, I show up and my one friend was like, this is who you need to meet. This is who we we're talking about. And I'm like, what? This is who met Gary. This is who met Gary B. And so Jay comes up and he's like, he's like, I don't believe you. <laughs> I was like, well, here's the picture. That's Gary. This is me. <laughs> We're in the office at Hudson Yards. I'm like, there was a whole YouTube video about this. And he's like, okay. And he's like, so he's like, can I follow you on Instagram? I'm like, sure, whatever. So follows me on Instagram. Six months go by. Never hear from this guy again. I'm just like, whatever, chance meeting. Until one day he slides into my DMs asking for help. And we, he and I have been working together for the last two years. So in answer for your second question of, has he helped me? Absolutely. I think Jay, Jay sees in me what I don't see in myself. That's, that's actually a practice that I'm working on right now um, with my mindfulness teachers. And he sees in me the ability to help others the way that I helped him and continue to help him. And so that's why I think this, this work is worth doing. And the market comes to us, I guess we, we've opened the door for people to be vulnerable and honest and and utilize the skills within mindfulness to hopefully help them improve their overall well-being. And that typically includes what you do for work every day. So I, I really like that notion of someone seeing in you something that you don't see in yourself. Because when we're at our highest stress points in our journeys, you know, we tend to push people away. And of course, when you push people away, it's harder for those people who are important to us and who want the best for us to see in us and share with us the things that they see that we might not see, uh, you know, which is a big missed opportunity, particularly in our moments of struggle, to get support. And when we don't get support, of course, things really compound. So you're essentially doing the opposite of what you should be doing because you're not really in a position or in a mindfulness headspace um, to really say, you know what, am I doing okay? Am I am I really doing okay? And and so there's a lot of things here to celebrate. You know, having other people say, hey, you know. But there's this other really great thing that you could and should be focusing on instead. So can you talk a bit about how you would see that barrier perhaps being broken down and how people can reach out and support each other in that kind of way? Sure. I think um, the first thing to note is that that act of pushing away just is a safety mechanism. Um, and it is counterintuitive. Um, it's interesting that our systems are are typically counterintuitive because we're based in survival. So we're, we're wired for a negativity bias in that um, we more easily see the negative and experience the negative because that's what keeps us safe. So if we look at things around um, the way that we're currently wired, we're still wired to respond to, you know, a saber-toothed tiger jumping out of the jungle while we're trying to collect berries. Huh, that's exactly the metaphor that I was just thinking of. Like, oh, look, a cute little saber-toothed tiger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you, the like the people who pet it are the ones that their genetic, you know, code is no longer with us anymore. You know, <laughs> so we had to get smart as cavemen and and uh, cave women, and and uh, so fast forward to now, and we still have, you know, a hunter-gatherer nervous system in 2020. So uh, it's important to see that we have uh, different types of threats to our system now, but our nervous system responds the same. So um, especially when we're looking at something um, like imposter syndrome, for example, or just not feeling good enough, like the, that thread, that narrative of I'm not good enough exists in pretty much everyone. And um, it, it too is based in survival because if we don't belong to a group, then we don't survive. So if you think back to uh, more uh, tribal ways of living where we knew at a maximum 
150 people in an in an um, intimate way um, that uh, you know that's 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 where our brains are wired for and so then all of a sudden when we have all of these other um, inputs including from work and and all of a sudden we don't have that intimate level of relationship with other people so we don't know if we're good enough whereas in these smaller groups you your your role was well defined you know you're really good at hunting so you're going to be the one that's going to hunt and then you're going to help other people with their hunting um whereas nowadays there's oftentimes where uh, especially now where people shift careers and gears multiple times in a lifetime we're really not actually wired for that so that becomes a real threat to the system where all of this novelty is uh difficult for our systems to handle if we're not aware of it so when i talk about being perceived in a different way than how i perceive myself that that i mean this is a deep rabbit hole if you guys really want to go there but like in mindfulness that's a deep deep rabbit hole of um questioning the versions of myself that don't see me like other how other people see me and that can be both good and bad right so we can have people who see us um as incompetent or mean or angry or or things like that or we can have people who see us as you know a light in their world and knowledgeable and kind and loving and compassionate and those can all be difficult to a system that that doesn't know their place in in society and especially when we look at entrepreneurship which is often solopreneurship um where do you belong and and i'm not even talking about like market analysis stuff it's just like where do you actually belong in in this space and time and if you don't have a group of people and that's why jay and i are so passionate of of bringing people together around this then you can actually really feel lost and that's actually a nervous system fight or flight uh response Oh, I love what you just said about self-perception versus other people's perceptions and that this mindfulness practice asks you to, to kind of bring those together or use other people's perspectives of you as a way to gain that inner peace. So I'm curious then, how do you counsel people or how do you personally go out and actually ask people to tell you what they think of you? Or what they think your value is in the marketplace or in life or, you know, anything else? Uh, so Simon Sinek does a really good job of that. So he talks about actually asking people that you trust what they think of you. And they don't mean your family because they're, they're usually going to tell you like, oh, you're fine. But, um, you know, people that are close enough to you where they can actually give you that, um, you know, kind of real talk lens. Um, and so some of it, it does involve a lot of courage to be able to do that. But that has to be information that you want to receive and are ready to receive. And I don't think that everybody is ready for that. Uh, feedback in general is um, a threat to our system as well. Uh, because again, it comes down to survival. If we have somebody in our group telling us that we're not good enough, no matter how they, you know, whether it's like the sandwich model of feedback has been like debunked by research, like there is no actual way, good way to give feedback that doesn't involve some kind of <gasps> to the system. It just doesn't exist. So part of that too is then having a relationship enough with people to be like, I actually honestly want you to be able to tell me how you perceive me in, in, in some different areas because there might be some of that that I can change and there might be some of that that I can't change. And being able to then determine the difference between the two. Yeah, I, I think that's really powerful because like you said, not everyone is ready to change or sometimes people need a moment or situation to really jar them into change. And, you know, that could be failing or having a business loss or, you know, having a panic attack like Jay had. And so there's a number of things that can trigger that, of course. And ideally, you're catching these failure moments as smaller ones so they aren't as jarring. Uh, and I'm a little curious about your thoughts on how somebody can get to that point quicker where they're willing to be able to accept such feedback. You know, how can they accept the required vulnerability or changes that they need to make uh, in order to admit that maybe you're not good enough or maybe that you need to get better at something, right? And 
it's not that you have to stop doing what you're doing because you're never going to achieve that. It's simply that, you know, you need to improve or upskill or learn something else. Uh, it's, it's funny that you mentioned speed. Um, if people want to do these things quickly, I am the wrong person to speak to because none of this stuff happens quickly. And uh, Jay would probably be the first to actually tell you that we talk about the long game all the time. And, and within the practice of mindfulness, like the magic happens in the waiting, the magic happens in the melancholy. It's in these moments of being uncomfortable with what is going on, where um, our ability to shift and change actually happens. Because if we're choosing to be aware of these things in the moment, and we're choosing to sit with people and listen to what they have to say about uh, about how they see us and then pass that through this filter of how am I responding to that? Like viscerally in my body, how does that make me feel? Not up here, not in your mind feeling, not in these labels of feeling, but like in my body, like, do I feel short of breath? Do I feel tightness in my chest? Does that really make me feel like a pit in my stomach when I hear someone say that about me? And this is somebody that I trust and love. Like I know that they're actually speaking from the heart because they want the best for me. None of that happens at a rate of speed that anybody is ever, ever okay with. And that's because the ego likes to operate like fast, 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 because the, the ego's whole job is to keep you safe. And when we're talking about safety, that is, you know, that is uh, split second decision-making that's at the level of neurotransmitters and hormones firing to keep you safe. And that happens even when someone's like, you know what, Justin, actually, like the way that you speak to people is sometimes demeaning. For example, I'm not saying that's true. And, and, and as your system takes that in, often the first, the first thing we want to do is respond to, to defend ourselves because the ego is like, well, th- this is how we've been operating for so long. Like, how are we supposed to sh- change this right now? Who are you to ask this feedback? And why are, why are we taking this in when we're okay over here? We're physically safe and sound. I'm alive. I'm alive. This is good enough. But on the other hand, you're also asking for feedback. But that's at the level of the mind. (laughs) And the mind and the nervous system don't always correlate. And the mind and the ego don't always correlate. So although we might be going into this being like, this is going to be a really good growth process for me. So can you just tell me how how I... And then all of a sudden this person's like, well, actually, I just really don't like you. And how that lands is going to be different at the level of the, of, of the mind, the thinking mind, at the level of the ego that's meant to keep you safe, and at the, le- at the level of who you are trying to become or return to, depending on your situation, by the means of being open to the feedback. And so it's being aware of, like, how does this actually show up in my system? And does this need a response right now? To me, it is a lifelong process it is a difficult process and and it is by no means something that should be put in the same spent sentence as speed so correct me if i'm wrong but i suspect that actually getting an entrepreneur who's asking these questions of what do you think of me or how how do i see myself being able to do better that there would be a great place for you to be able to train that person to actually learn how to accept that feedback right so especially if, um, you know, sometimes it's a blow to the ego and it takes a lot of courage to ask for that feedback. And also it takes a lot of courage to actually open a business and, and try to fulfill this dream that you have. And for somebody to say, no, actually, there's these things that are wrong. That's got to be really hard. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the practices that we talk about a lot is radical acceptance. And so that is, and it's one of the, it is one of the hardest um, within the suite of like mindfulness practices that we tap into and radical acceptance simply means that right now it's like this and I'm accepting that it doesn't mean that it's okay. It doesn't mean that, that, you know, we just lay down and allow people to drive buses over top of us. It means that like in this moment right now, And in this example of giving and receiving feedback in this moment right now, I am choosing to make myself vulnerable. And when I do that, it is opening up my nervous system to experience stress 
my, my threat response system, my stress response system is going to be activated in this moment. I am choosing to step into this. That I am now then opening myself up to receiving whatever is. And it right now in this moment, I feel fear, frustration, anger, sadness, maybe happiness, depending on like what, you know, what the situation is. And I have to be radically accepting of in this moment, this is what I've chosen. And that can be really difficult again for the system because that egoic mind, which is typically a voice from the past, it's not, it's not often who we truly are. It's often the voice of a parent, a grandparent, uh, maybe a spouse, a friend that's like, why are you listening to this stuff? You're good enough as it is right now. And it's just like, well, part of that is true. Right now in this moment, I am good enough because there's no one else to be in this moment. But I also want to step into the, my future and maybe understanding a little bit more about how, the, how other people perceive me and are there changes that, I, that could be made for the better and in that then affect my ability to serve others. So there's a whole process that I would then help walk people through to be able to radically accept, but there's a, there's a, there's a whole process that starts before that. And one of the first steps is, is being able to feel into the body. How do I, how do I physically feel when something happens? So for example, I'll often ask um, my clients this. So they'll, they'll tell me a story and I'll say, okay, well, how did that feel? And they'll instantly go into labeling of like, well, I felt angry. Okay. But how did that feel? Well, I felt mad. Okay, well, how did that feel? Well, I felt frustrated. I said, okay, beyond the, le the level of labels, how did it feel? It actually physically feel in your body to be in that moment. Because if we can't connect the, the, the linguistic and label abilities of the mind, then we're not going to be able to then further process that. Because then when we're in the moment of radical acceptance, the whole system is involved where it's just like, oh shit, I asked for this and now I'm getting it. And this is not what I expected. And now I'm feeling, okay, at the level of labels, fear, anxiety, anger, but I feel that in my body. And as soon as I can start to feel things in my body, that's when you can actually start processing it towards then some form of resolution. That's the thing that we as humans in this current day are very, very bad at processing emotions to their completion. So radical acceptance is all part of that. That's really interesting. You know, and I've heard a definition of emotion, which is simply energy in motion. And of course, that the body's energy is, is creating all this motion of, of yourself. And for some people, they're like, oh, that's all wishy-washy. But it's, you know, actually pretty important and, and really real in that the energy that you feel, the, the built-up tightness or the shortness of breath or, you know, the, the tingliness of sensation that you have in, in your fingertips, perhaps, when you're, you know, feeling anxious or stressed, you know, that there's this physical presence that, that you actually engage with when you're in these conditions or in these situations. And so I definitely agree with this definition of radical acceptance because, you know, I've heard it and seen it in situations, you know, the, the piece that I'm actually really interested in is, you know, you talked a little bit about how you start with radical acceptance and making yourself open to those conversations and to, you know, start to talk about these feelings as feelings and not labels. And these can be really heavy things to get into, particularly if you've had a big failure or business stress that's, that's taking over right now. And so can you talk about the impermanence of identity and that identity that we're given and how we can actually probably choose that identity rather than accept the one that's kind of pushed upon us? Yeah, this is a really deep rabbit hole, Justin. So <laughs> how far you guys want to go? <laughs> uh, like how, how far off course have we already gotten? Your listeners are probably like, what is going on? Um, <laughs> so um, I think there's a few things about identity. And, and I want to admit that um, everything that we're talking about, I am still a student of. So I don't think that there's ever... Um, you can ever know everything. And I always want to make that clear that I am always a student and I try and approach things from the concept of beginner's mind and curiosity. Um, because, because I know that there's probably going to be people that maybe listen to your podcast that are maybe like experts in psychology and they're going to have a different perception of, or an, or an understanding of identity. So my 
lens comes from it from the place of of secular mindfulness that was drawn from you know thousands of years of contemplative practice so just to kind of frame this type of conversation um we tend to identify with what we do and as soon as you take away what you do what is left that's it that's the answer to your question so to give you an example a personal example so um I've been in education for 15 years, and part of that means that you have to be physically in the classroom, working with the children, those types of things. And um, a few years ago, I ended up needing emergency neck surgery, and everything was fine. I healed well after that, but I started to get pain down my right leg to the point where it became debilitating. And it turned out that I had um, a herniated disc at L5-S1 that compressed my sciatic nerve, which is a very common thing, but I got the worst end of it where I, I ended up living on my parents' living room floor for a month, not able to feed myself, bathe myself, like nothing, couldn't walk. Um, and I, and, and I am a person that, um, you know, you talk a lot about identity. One of the identities, um, that I live with is, is getting shit done. I am a doer. I go, I am, I'm a very active person. If I'm not doing something, then I, then at the time I didn't know who I was. So here I am laying on my living room floor of my parents' house and actually questioning like, uh, who am I if I'm not at work? Cause now I'm no longer, you know, teacher April, I'm laying on the floor, April. So that leads, Oh, oh God, it was absolutely hard. I actually ended up being diagnosed with depression afterwards because I could not, even with all of my skills, I, I could not, that piece that I talk about, about radical acceptance is so difficult. I couldn't even do that. I could not radically accept that this was a, this was a signal. My body was telling me that I was doing too much. I was doing, I was working like three jobs every, and I, and that's the piece. I loved everything that I was doing but it was too much and it was too much in the wrong direction. And instead of listening to small signals where um, the year previous, I had had some, some uh, serious digestive problems that ended me in the hospital and stuff, like all of these signals that were like banging me over the head. And I was just like, nope, because my ego took the reins. And I was just like, this is who you are, April. And I would get these opportunities that made me feel really important and valued. Yeah, It was like, oh, well, now you're better because, for example, I got the opportunity to teach at the college level without my master's because they thought I was good enough. Well, holy shit, if that isn't like, you know, your ego's like, this is amazing, but it was too much. And so I ended up losing that job because I couldn't physically do it. They were like, hey, can you teach next semester? And I was like, I don't think I can't because right now I'm laying on a floor. <laughs> like I don't. Like I couldn't even finish off the job that I was given. So just to jump in there for a second and and really lean into that, you know, if if people are going through really hard times, like you said, it's often has very little to do with the capabilities. Um, Sometimes it might, but usually it doesn't. And often it's because of this feeling of overwhelm, right? Normally you would be rocking things at work and things would be really easy. And all these things start to become hard uh, because you're not in a good headspace or there's too much competition for your mental energy. And so, you know, the cause of this failure or the cause of the stress is not directly your skills. And so this makes getting back on the horse and having that time to grieve in some of these really challenging situations so important, right? Much like Jay shared in one of our earlier episodes, you know, taking a year to really take time for himself and and to get back on the horse and grieve and and really tackle a lot of these big things. Um, You know, it's, it's such an important piece of that. I think it's really important in that piece of this puzzle to really separate and to recognize and, and to go through that so you can kind of really feel things. Yeah. So the failure piece, I think, is huge where it's identifying um, why you failed. And um, I think that every failure is worthy um, and it has it, ha- it has value to the system because if we don't go through that, then we don't we don't learn and grow. We don't get back on the path that we're meant to be on. I like to say that there's no such thing as a bad decision. There's just the ones that feel right. And the ones that you learn from that's it. Right. We all make these decisions. Like you can think of it at the very simplest level of like going to a restaurant. What do I feel like eating today? 
Now you could make an intuitive choice by actually like sitting, closing your eyes and just being like, what does this system need today as far as nourishment in the woo-woo sense, right? Or you could just be like, oh, pizza looks good, right? <laughs> like, so, and it's, and you know, once you eat it, then you, then you feel a certain way or you feel, or you eat that and you're like, oh, that wasn't satisfying. And that's information really to the system. The grain ball. <laughs> right? Like it's, but that's all information to the system, right? So failure is just simply information. And, but again, our ego sees that as a threat and it often does end up being stressful because it's like, if I fail at this, I don't have um, a, a way to sustain my being. I, I went through the same thing. I took a job in London, England. I left my 10 year teaching job and I was like, I need a change. And I up and moved. Um, and it was the most difficult thing. I got fired after four days and I'd never been fired from anything. I would always been the best at what I was doing. Um, and I absolutely failed at that. And now were there other uh, circumstances around it? After, and I learned that afterwards, yes. But I also found myself sobbing on the kitchen floor in my house in England. And I called my sister here at 1.30 in the morning and she picked up and she's like, what's wrong? And I said, you know, like, I don't know what I'm doing and all this stuff. And she's like, April, you have two choices. Stay there or come home. Goodbye. She hung up the phone. And I was like, yep. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but that's, but she's right. Like that, like you boil all of that down. I could have made it. I, and I did. My mind made it way bigger than it was. Did I lose a lot? Yes. Do I miss any of it now? No. Because in that moment, that's all, that's all, it, that's all it was. And so I needed that external help to be like, actually, this, this is that, the actual choice that, that, that is here. So I identified as a teacher who went to London who failed. And now I identify with that same scenario four years later of being like, if I didn't go through that, I wouldn't be where I am today and who I am here. And I also don't think I would have been happy there either. So when we, uh, when we identify too much with what we do, we put ourselves at risk of seeing failure as being more than what it is, where it is information. And don't get me wrong, failure is difficult to the system. We have to process it. Again, we're not very good at processing it fully. Where often you talk about the grief process, often we're too busy trying to just push it away or stuff it down or numb it because it feels so foreign to us. Because all, we're, most often we're just trying to like chase a feeling. If I do this, I'll feel this way. If I do this, I'll feel this way. And then all of a sudden the universe slaps you across the face and is just like, actually, wake up here. This is what's actually happening. And it's just like, I don't want this. So how do I plug this hole? I shift to a different role or let's put this contingency plan in place or all of those things instead of taking the space and time. Again, that, that magic in the melancholy, that magic in the space and time of just like, okay, I failed right there. Let's maybe have a cry about that. Maybe I need to call my mom. What else is there, right? Like, can I, can I, can I allow myself to radically accept that I failed? I think a lot of businesses would be much better off if they recognized that, whether it's a little failure or a big failure, because that's the place where you can actually be agile from, because creativity doesn't exist when the mind is already busy problem solving. Creativity only exists in space and time in a vacuum, which yeah. usually happens after something like a failure. You know, one of the things you mentioned in the presentation you made was this piece around grieving and what do you need to do, right? Just in your case, you said, just sit in the moment, call your mom, call somebody, you know, get some of that support that you need. And, you know, some people might be in the position to have or the ability to get help from somebody like that or from like somebody like yourself who has a focus on mindfulness culture. But there's others that might be more vulnerable or they might not be able to do that quite yet for, for whatever reason. Um, and it kind of touches on the, the phrase that you shared around who's on your shore. So can you talk a bit about that concept? Mindset Did you take or... notes, Justin? <laughs> <laughs> like that was a while ago. Or you have a steel trap up there. <laughs> I'm Justin, I'm pretty sure he took notes. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. 
Um, so in my coaching model, I have, um, I use a metaphor of a ship. So um, we are all the captains of our own ship and we're all trying to navigate this same water that we call life. And we're all here for on average about 80 years. And during that time, our sole job is to find purpose and meaning in life. And some of us find it and some of us don't. Um, but if that is the course that you're on, we can't do it alone. It is absolutely impossible to do it alone. And especially when we're talking about entrepreneurship, you often feel like you're alone because it's your idea and you're, you're going to forge forth and make it happen. So I physically draw on a piece of paper, a river and a boat, and I put you in the boat. And then we just talk about who is in your boat. I've had people who have had like 25 people in their boat, very well resourced, um, have, you know, good relationships across the board. And I have people who had me in their boat as their coach, and that was it. So when we talk about having people on the shore, those are the people that either are maybe trying to get in your boat and you don't want them there, um, or people that need to get out of your boat and stay on the shore. Um, and then also uh, people that you want in your life. And this is where um, we talk about manifesting. And I do not believe in this woo-woo sense, the secret of manifesting. It's manifestation is um, intentional effort over and over and over again. And even if that effort is an energetic leaning into, I really, I really feel like I could feel satisfied if my life was in this place and who might be there or who might be able to guide me there. So for example, someone who would have been on the shore that is now in my boat is Claude Silver. Someone who would have been on my shore and is now in my boat is Jay. Um, I also have a boat filled with friends and family. Um, so I like to speak to that from a place of like mentorship, but not just, I think in business, we can get very tied into mentorship as to like, who's going to get me forward the fastest? Who's going to give me the, the three magical steps that's going to make my business you know, what it needs to be in order to, to, you know, make something happen. And I like to see mentorship. It's from a place of like the heart and the spirit of like, who's really going to hold my hand through this. Um, Ram Das, who just recently passed away, he speaks of like, we're all just walking each other home. Like none of us truly knows where we end up when we pass away. And we're all just truly trying to get to that point together. And so in, in my model of even business coaching, it's just like, who do you need to hold your hand right now? Who's that person that you, that you can call at 1.30 in the morning when you're crying on the floor in London, England? I want that person in my boat. And if you yeah. don't have those people in your boat, then there's another piece of how do we then create, how do we create the relationships there? And, that, and there's a whole piece around mindfulness, around mindful communication, um, being present in relationship, asking for what you need before that even is knowing what you need. Cause we often aren't very good at recognizing what we need in the moment. And then, and then opening up ourselves to the collective universe to be like, I want this person to come into my life. And sometimes it means you just, you know, like I have an idea. I want this. I want, I want Justin to be in my life in this way. And I'm just going to ask him and I'm going to be okay with whatever the answer is. So that's a that's just a, a metaphor and a model that I use, and we revisit it all the time because your boat should change all the time because you are not the same, and so your needs of of who you need to be in your ship is also going to change um, moment to moment, and as your as you grow and develop as a human being. So, quick question: When we're talking about when people will come to you, or you're going to start counseling people. And, and I actually think I'm probably going to know the answer to this, but, you know, are sometimes people more proactive or is it usually reactive? Uh, you know, like they're finally starting to realize that there's a problem. And, and as you respond to that, I'm also going to ask for you to offer the big nugget of our conversation before we start to wrap up. I've had uh, many people come my way and they don't all become clients. Um, I am probably the worst business person. I do not seek out clients and that's not from a place of ego. I feel that this work is something that people um, discover. And if I happen to cross their path and, it, and, it, and it's a good fit, then we start to work together. Um, I've, I've also had many people come to me and I always give the first session for free 
because sometimes that's all people need. And I'm here truly to be in service to others. So if they have kind of this one question or piece of their, their life, that's just really kind of like not sitting well with them. And I might be of service to just give them that sounding board. Um, those are actually the ones that I enjoy the most because those people are already on the way. Like they're, they're already, they, they're wiser than they already know. And they just need that extra step. The people who end up being clients with me long-term often come to me in that reactive space that you're talking about because they're coming from a place of survival. They have found themselves in a moment of, I don't know. And I don't know what to do with this. And it's typically a feeling or sensation in the body that returns over and over and over again. And that's the way our system tells us to wake up. Um, and sometimes we need help with that. Most often we need help with that as humans. We're not meant to do this alone. And, and we've lost the sense of tribal community, these smaller communities where we, where we would have had that person, whether it would have been an elder or someone else, a knowledge keeper of some sort that would have just walked us through that. And we've lost touch with that. And, and so that's part of what I'm trying to bring back is that I've had the privilege to collect some of this information to be able to help people. And so absolutely people come to me reactive. Jay and I have been working together for over two years and we just had a session on Monday and he was a hundred percent reactive to what was going on in his life because he's human. <laughs> Right. Um, but reactivity is also proactivity. They're the same thing. They're the same thing. It just depends on like how you approach it. And, and are we going to get it right all the time? No, because we're also meant to make mistakes. If, if nobody ever made mistakes, the, we would not be here today as humans. We just wouldn't be. So I think it's leaning into the fact that like mistakes are going to happen and being reactive is normal. I think there's this demonization of emotions and strong emotions and feeling full emotions. And we need to get rid of that. You know, our brain is meant, our brain is meant to help keep our body alive. That's its whole job. And so all of these neurotransmitters that we perceive currently as emotions are also just meant to keep us alive. And so if we continue to like, stuff them down or you're not meant to feel that and then and then also if we choose to allow this whole host of this current lens of like if you biohack everything will be okay or if you meditate for five minutes every day and 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 listen to some thought leader you're going to be just fine and that's not that that's not true i've been doing this work for a very long time and i just had a call with my teacher yesterday to work through some stuff that i'm working through it never ends. We just get more and more aware and in tune of what's bothering me today? What's not sitting right? What doesn't feel in alignment? Where, where can I go from here? Um, so I think that uh, it's normal for people to react to their environment. That's how we are built. And mindfulness just gives us a tool set on how to respond a bit more wisely and find neutral. Um, as far as a nugget of wisdom. Which of course goes against the grain of everything we've been talking about this hour. You already know, <laughs> I think. But if there is something that I could offer the listeners is um, uh, know that you're not alone. So humans all uh, suffer in similar ways. They just show up in different clothing. We all feel threats to the system at any number of any, any time. And we are often our own biggest threat. It's the stories that we tell ourselves. It's the, it's the past versions of ourselves or the voices from the past that show up to, to sabotage who we are and what we're doing. And that's where we can sometimes start to feel that discomfort and that disconnect. And when you feel that, that's when you have to pay attention. If I can say anything to people, it's just start paying attention. This mindfulness is an awareness practice. We're just choosing to be aware more often, more closely, more deeply. I'm listening to my body now more than ever because the body is where the wisdom is held. And too often running a business, people think that it exists in the mind and it just simply doesn't. So if I can offer 
any guidance to to anyone um it, obviously they're free to reach out to me but um uh just slowing down slowing down to speed up is something that jay and i say all the time if anything in the last two years he has slowed his business down exponentially and anyone from the outside would think that he's going at 90 miles an hour so um slow down to speed up slow down so that you can have space and time for the magic to happen in the spaces that you create for yourself um and yeah just start paying attention april prescott i really appreciate you spending some time with us today your thoughts have actually been really illuminating for me because I can think of things in my own life where I do need to slow down or I do need to take uh, just maybe not necessarily a step back, but I guess a deeper dive into what I'm doing for myself and you know, ask, is what I'm doing at this moment the right thing to do or should I be thinking in a different way or, or moving in a different direction? So I really appreciate everything you've told us today. You've, you've really gotten my own gears rolling as well. Yeah. And if I can say anything to that, instead of thinking of a step back, um, that's a very westernized view. It's be with it. Like whatever is on, like whatever came up for you right here, Mm -hmm. just choose to be with it, be in the same room with it. That's all you got to do. And it, it, it will, uh, you know, something will come to the surface for you from, from that. And so it's, I think people think that slowing down is like this oh my God, this is the reversal. And actually, no, it's like a slowing down to a stop of just like, I'm just going to be in this room right now, physically in this room. What's going on for me? So yeah, just choose to be with it instead. Back in Business is executive produced by the two of us, Justin Bertignoli and me, Joel McGelnick. Our theme is by Purple Planet Music. Want to be featured on Back in Business? Email us at story at backinbusiness.io. Again, that's story at backinbusiness.io. Find resources, assistance, or just someone to lean on by visiting us at backinbusiness.io. And so before we go, I just want to make sure that we put a plug for April's website as well, aprilprescott.com. And if you visit the Yegg Hustle page, you'll see the project she's put together with Oodle Noodle president and previous Back in Business guest, Jay Downton. Thanks again for being part of our journey, and we'll see you next time.